G'day everyone, welcome to Life of Mine, the go-to mining podcast. Matty Michael here. Now, before we get into this, Life of Mine now has a bloody website, lifeofmindpodcast.com. So go check it out, there's some cool pictures and colours, we're the real deal now. Anyway, so now for the first real reason we're here today, it's Malcolm Major, business line manager for Sandvik, and he takes care of the Loden Hall in Asia Pacific, so that's your trucks and boggers more simply. And Mal was kind enough to invite me into the Sandvik offices in Canningvale, and he even hooked me up with a flash ceramic bottle of Tawny Port with a, as a picture of a miner teleremoting on it. So I've got that in saving for the big fella's 18th in 10 years. Very generous, Mal. Thanks very much. So in this part one of two with Mal, she's all about big Mal himself. So absolute top bloke who shares a great passion for the industry and we we talk about the journey he's been on starting from an auto, auto sparky trade to being an expat for near a decade and then settling into a job with Sandvik that's it's taken him to places he would never thought of so we dabble into some of the cool technology and innovation happening at Sandvik but it's done more in much more detail in part two so and it's all about the cool shit that we may be seeing underground in the coming years. So anyway, let's get into it. LV in the hole. Now, Major, now I've actually just hit stop and press record because I pronounced your name wrong. I keep forgetting to ask people how to pronounce your name correctly. Now, Major, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. What would you say? French. In French, French it's Mojo. Mojo. Do you ever rip that out to make yourself sound a bit fancy on the on the it European trips? Depends on the situation. <laughs> I, I have been known to do it. <laughs> it relieves some of the uncomfortableness. Yeah, yeah, I like Mal, Mal Jay. Yeah, very, very flash, mate. Uh, thanks for inviting me to the Sandvik office. Uh, I, I think we spoke on the phone last time I was here. With, I was in the automate crashing the bogger around in the uh, uh, computer course that uh, Burncut yeah. sent me on here. So I, I was going to rip out your results there and see if we could use that against you, but. I'd, I think I've got a pretty high score, but that means you're, you're pretty rough on it, I think, if you get a high score. <laughs> All right, when we came in, they said the Bosey, he was the burn cut rep that was with us, taking us through it. He says, right, get in there, get it out of your system, roll it, run over everything you can. Just He, he let us do it for the first half an hour. He says, just get it out of your system and then we'll start doing it serious. So. Yeah, for those guys <laughs> that get cocky in it, they get um, pulled in pretty quickly. Yep, yep. There's, uh, it's, you've even got... There's a jumbo one here now as well, isn't there? Yes, we've got jumbo simulators um, under the Sandvik brand, automation simulators, uh, as well as um, a loader simulator that arrives at the end of this week. Yeah, very good. What's the, I guess, the new and reformed loader simulator got compared to the old one? Yeah, well, the old one, as you remember, was in a sea container. So this one is more transportable. It, it simulates the cabin of a loader more than yeah. what it did before. Yeah, right. And that's, uh, so when you say transportable, you take it to, take it to mine sites and everything is the plan is it yeah that's one of the criticisms always had you um, you had to move a container around and it wasn't that friendly yep. so this time yeah it's it's quite um nifty moving it around just by a small forklift you know you can get it in a, a room quite easily yeah very good so now your role with sandby give us the give us the title mate oh it sounds yeah, good it's um business line manager for Loden hall here in um apac so age pacific yep so look after the the trucks and the loaders um here all the way up to 
uh, Mongolia, so that includes New Zealand, um, Japan, Korea, Indonesia, Mongolia, Southeast Asia as well. Yep. Now, like, and this is all part of, a, I guess, our ignorance in Australia is when you, when you talk about Sandvik present in places like Korea and Vietnam and Cambodia. So what's, is, is Kim John buying up 621s, is he? Like, who's, what's, I guess, what's the, what are, where are the operations over there? Where's Sandvik get its business from in places yeah. like Korea? And, and it's funny, so Korea is a real tunneling market. Yep. So, or Korea and Japan are tunneling markets. So they're they're quite interesting. They are, they're a little bit different gear. So you're not quite six twenty one size, yep. um, but you can get up to uh, a three oh seven or even a five one four or fourteen ton loader. Yep. Um, trucks are uh, a bit different, but a very different way of working. Yeah, and so and same Viet Vietnam Cambodia is the same sort. Of, is there any actual mining? much mining over there or is a lot of it actually tunneling did you say yeah so for the vietnam laos and cambodian those it's more service operations so i don't get too involved with it yep. um, and there is some tunneling around vietnam but um but we still have a good samic presence in those areas yeah how much how as you said you cover such a wide region with uh your role how how many overseas trips are you doing to those places yeah i'm um, i'm not seen at home during the week a lot <laughs> yeah. um, but i do try to be home on weekends but it's uh we do look after a fair, fairly big area um but also you want to you want to see what the customers are doing with their product and see what their issues are and uh, and it's still mining fascinates me i still love it yep so um it's not a chore for me to get on a plane if at the end is a customer visit yeah, yeah, and so this we we're talking before this this office um, factory outlet dis- distribution outlet, whatever <laughs> you like to call it, here in Canningvale, there's multiple ones of these all across the world. Is there? Yeah, so in Canningvale here, this is um, rebuilds, you know, pre deliveries before they come into the country. So all the trucks, loaders, drills, surface drills, um, crushing um, screens, all that come in into these and get customer mods before they go out and get destroyed yep yep well it all sounds very interesting it's the scale i and most other people when when we hop on a sandvik a sandvik jump or something you don't you don't realize how prevalent this uh these orange machines are around the world it's pretty yep. amazing so let's let's we'll rewind mate so to get to this uh this uh flash title of business line manager it's uh We'll go back to your humble beginnings. Uh, Auto Sparky. Auto Sparky by trade. I'm still proud to say that. It's um, it's given me great grounding. Uh, It's given me a lot. Uh, I started here. I'm Perth born and bred. So uh, there's not a lot of others that can say that. um, There's a select few of us still around. Uh, But I started here in Midland and uh, um, I I loved it. Um, Always wanted to be an Auto Sparky. I saw my uncle doing it. That's where I want to be. Exposed to it at a young age. You just... Exposed, yeah. So, um, and I I guess being in Midland, there was a lot of, uh, you see, mining equipment around coming into the country and um, coming getting repaired. And that's where I always wanted to be. You always say you always looked at Auto Sparky as a way into mining. Uh, You didn't didn't look at the roles of within mining itself. You always, that was your perfect blend, was it? I I think in all honesty, I didn't really know what mining was. I just saw the big equipment and I wanted to fix it. Yep, yep. (laughs) And your auto sparkers, aren't they? They're they're a job in demand. Well, when you need an auto sparker, they could they could put their feet up for five hours in a row. But the like, not that they do. But shit, when you need an auto sparky, you need an auto sparky. They're very same as any any form of sparky when you when you need them. Geez, you you're pretty much on your hands and knees, uh, bound down to them like mate. 
it, do it's a great thing. trade. I mean, from all the times uh, when your mates need jobs, you know, and on their cars and I will need advice, uh, all, you know, on a mine site, there's things going on. Um, there's always jobs in auto sparkings. They're getting more and more prevalent today. And, um, and, and they've gone up in the scale of people needing them. Yeah. And so, because your initial trade was was Perth-based, like more automotive. Yeah, only Perth-based. I mean, yep. literally trucks, cars and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And when did you make the big move to, to go to mining? Or when did you say, right, I'm going to transfer into mining auto well, sparking? Yeah, it's funny because I got out of – it was a bit of a downturn in the industry and uh, where I was doing my apprenticeship, it was, you know, limited hours – so I uh, finished my apprenticeship early, did all the testing, and then we drove to Kalgoorlie. Uh, me and a mate, two cars. Logical place to go, yep. Well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to mining. There was um, a mate said, yeah, call this guy and uh, he'll give you a job. And it was Mr. Mobile Auto Electrics. Yep, yep. So absolutely loved it. Uh, yep. Mate did about a week and uh, turned around and I stayed there for uh, nine months or something. Yep, yep. And so what? when did you actually, I guess your first mine sites, when did you... When did you actually get on your first mine site? Yeah, so that was – so we're going back to 93, 94, and it was Bounty Gold Mine. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that, at that stage it was Aztec and um, soon to be purchased by POSCO. And that was the first time in a real mine site, in, a real underground mine. And, um, and yeah, it just blew my hair back. Yep, yep. And so where was – where's Bounty located? So it's Mount Holland, um, for people who know that, or out Hyden Way. It's about four and a four four and a half hours from Perth. Yep, yep. So is that uh, west, west, just west of Cal, is it? Yeah, so south west of Cal. Yeah, yeah, yep. So Bounty Goldmine was that a narrow vein? Well, it would take us through the. Well, well, I had it was paying much attention to the whole body, I suppose yeah, you were. Well, <laughs> I, I know now because of the um, the size of the equipment. But it, yeah. we had in the narrow vein in North Bounty, it was the Shanty Backs. Yeah. And uh, that was fairly small mine. Uh, and then in um, the, the proper bounty was, um, you know, two boom jumbos. And yeah. uh, well, back then it was um, R1500s and R2800 Elphinstones. Yeah. We had um, 69, uh, 69 Cs or 69As and then 73Bs. Yeah. And it, do, you, do you remember that, I guess, that first day? when you go underground like you're i guess you've been so machine focused for so long yep. and you walk underground and you just there's this whole new world that you didn't know existed beneath your feet yeah, yeah. I, I remember the first time going underground and it was in uh in a naughty naughty wagon so it was uh, one of those toyota bandiras and uh we're sitting in the back and they um they just drove in the portal and uh, I felt like you're doing 100 kilometres an hour down this. It was it was pretty freaky. Uh, uh, and you still notice it now. You know when you like you you're limited on 30k an hour, but you're going you're going around a you know a hairpin decline. You're just like holy shit. It feels like you feels like you're going 80k's an hour as you say, but you're yeah, only going mean, 30. Yeah, and thank God you are only going 30. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, we've got no where where I am. It's just one of those. Corkscrew. Continual spiral things. I feel sorry for the truckers. I reckon you'd get car sick on the way down. It'd yep. just be it'd just be horrendous. So I always take the hats off to the truckies. You're doing a bloody great job out there. They do. We'll, we'll get into a good uh we'll get into the well, truckies. Stay tuned. We, Mal's gonna give us a few secrets of the uh, you know, lo load and haul innovations coming up in Sandvik. Plenty, plenty of stuff to get excited about. So the auto, being an auto spark is is was it all pretty transferable between like Perth-based automotive to 
mining equipment, same general principles, um, or was it a lot of it was very machine specific? Well, yeah, I, I guess one of the big things in um, auto sparking is you you can't take your normal transport um, way of working for the underground. And I think at the time, Bounty was um, seven times saltier than the sea. Yep. So if you put a light on in the afternoon you know, without protection, it would be corroded off. So, yep. um, that, so that sort of stuff. So you learnt how to protect wiring, all that sort of stuff. So as far as auto sparkies and getting into it, um, you had to do a lot of work to protect your wiring and protect your, your terminals. Yep. And does, did you transfer like – you know, or you always see like auto spark is I'm I'm twenty four volt. That's 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 what I do. HV sparks. I'm a thousand volt, and they're like not many like crossover between. Do, do many like do you? I guess do many sparkies. I suppose you've got to have. You don't. You're not. You're not qualified for it. But do many people? Is it hard to know something about both? In a sense, I think you have an awareness. Yeah, uh, I mean it's fairly strict. Um, essentially for low volts touching high volts, it's, yep. you can't do it. Yep. Um, but you've got an awareness. I mean, you, you're walking away around a vehicle, um, you get to know it. Um, yep. pretty, you're pretty familiar with them. Do many, do many, do any, has anyone ever done both? Being a qualified 1,000-volt and a 24-volt Sparky? Yeah. There, um, uh, there's a lot of dual traders in the industry now. Yep. And I think that's the beauty of it. It can go down and do a lot of things. Yep. 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 You'd, oh, there's twice as much chance of getting called up too. It mightn't be, good. <laughs> <laughs> mightn't be a good option. Now, you're uh, you're one of the many interviewees I've had that have worked with Telfer as well. Everyone, yes. Everyone's been to Telfer at some point. I when love you, Telfer. It's, uh, when, so you were there late 90s. So I got there in 95 and left in 2000. Yeah. Was that 2000? Is that obviously right? That was pretty much right when gold was about 400 bucks an ounce. Yeah. Was it, uh, what, what, I guess, what was that time like in at Telfer in the gold industry when they're, they're mining at 400 bucks an ounce? Yeah. So when I first got there, and, and keep in mind that Telfer at that stage was, uh, was a, a mining town. Yeah. So it was a mining town, I think, for a, a year after that. And, and I, I do remember it was around three hundred dollars US, yeah. And uh, it, was, it was no different to what it is today. We're all working, we're all doing the same thing. Yeah. There, um, there wasn't a real focus on it. There wasn't real talk about it. No, yep. generally not on the floor anyway. Yeah. Um, but the, it was a pretty crazy time to um to work in um Telfer. Mm. Uh, very crazy. Where was where was oh, so of. When I was there, you know, I was down the bottom of the sublevel cave, like that's the sort of, and there was some mining up the top in the the M reefs we called it. What was yeah. where? What areas were being mined back in the late late nineties at Telfer? Yes, you still had some of the M reefs. You had some small um, narrow vein up there. Yeah, and we had the I thirty was the the big thing that we were heading down to. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there was so that when I was there, there was the I thirty plug. Essentially, there was a big you know, bulkhead put in there to block off that decline because um, it all obviously filled up with water eventually. That was a whole yeah, – yeah, okay. so that obviously that whole area has been – was mined out, yeah, because it was the I-30 plug yeah. when I was there. Yeah, it was um, – it's amazing how that uh, – like the deposit, like, oh, you wouldn't say a deposit. It's just that that, that mining area has just got such a mix of, you know, there's a little narrow vein. You've got an SLC. Yeah. Um, 
I think oh, my understanding of the SLC there was like just they pretty much had all these veins and then we'll just like let's we'll just take the lot as an SLC. Yeah, so there's there wasn't too much um, of that. I mean, we're all heading down. It was all decline work. There yep. was no shaft, hauley shaft, or anything like that. Yeah, uh, it was yeah, rudimentary mining essentially. It was really good. Yeah. So is that were you there with E Rock? Uh, no, I was there with Clough Clough Engineering. Okay, they, and they were the supplying the auto sparkies. Yeah, so we were uh, equipment and everything. Yeah, so um, we were essentially the contractor. Yeah, yeah. How'd you enjoy the heat? Uh, I'm a heat person. You know, As in, was, you love the heat. I love the heat. Well, you're a bloody weirdo. <laughs> yeah, I, and even Telfer. What I didn't like sometimes is after the big rains and the mozzies come out. Yeah, but um, but love the heat. Yeah, you know, it, it'd be times there, and, and I still say to this day, I was the last person to have a um, a going away party because uh, when I left, um, we had a going away party um, in the house I was in, and they um, a week later they closed it down. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So uh, on the shift change, it'll be fifty degrees outside, and I'll be out there cooking on the barbecue. Yeah, right. loving it. <laughs> there you go, you buddy. Oh, you're a better man than me, mate. There's um, it was because we. It's amazing up there, as you said, when those storms came over. Um, just the impact those storms had on the heat underground, because that you know you. She's not twenty percent humidity anymore. It's uh, you know, might be fifty or sixty coming through the pool, and it was just yeah, it uh really really cause you some pain and grief in summer the, and the was, heat those, heat underground is something again yeah and they were um like when they, those storms came over it was uh they bloody come over all right we i think we had a cyclone sort of we had to all bunker in for a cyclone it ended up bypassing the whole site but um you wouldn't have done it sober though no nah, well that was it you made sure you were stocked up for it <laughs> yeah it was a, a pretty just such a widespread camp wasn't it it's, uh, yeah. everyone was riding bikes everywhere and um because all the street signs are, st- are still up there yeah um they're all yeah that's how you knew you had to get back to your room because it, <laughs> it was all i remember when i first get got there i'd never been exposed somewhere so big and the camp was just like it was like 20 minutes to get back to my room i'm like bloody hell yeah we yeah. had a house dedicated and there was three of us living in it yep yep oh, like a batch pad was it or yeah well <laughs> it, 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 sometimes it was like that um it was a bit of a party place for us all yeah because that that um that's like i guess the store that's there now there that was like an iga or something there wasn't there Where, when you were there it was like a supermarket yeah there, yeah, wasn't yeah it was too it was um i think i know sorry i think someone said it was a tab as well yeah well, in the camp was a tab uh in con camp and uh, we had yeah tab everything there it was fantastic yeah. so you lived there for the five years uh no we were flying fly out you were flying fly out yeah yeah how many people did live there was there a Big portion oh, of yeah, people that did live there. Yeah, I can't remember the numbers, but there would have been a thousand people. There were school teachers. There was a post office. Yep. We had kangaroo courts there as well. Um, yep. Proper police station. Yep. Yeah, it was full. It was a working town. Did you get? Uh, you ever get mobbed by the dingoes? Uh, I remember they took a pizza off me one night. Yeah. <laughs> I literally sat it down to. I think I was going into my room, and I, I just sat it on the chair to go in. Next minute, there's bloody these dingoes chewing on this fire eater pizza. Yeah. I hope the bloody chili got the bastards too. Yeah, oh. we've got photos of them coming into our house. Yep. Yeah, awesome animal. Oh yeah, yeah be- beautiful creature. Yeah. Yeah, with when they're not when they're nice and timid. <laughs> yeah. So when you. Telfer, finished Telfer. You've uh, you've ventured into the expat life a bit, I believe. Yeah, and and it got to the point, and and, and you got to ask yourself the question. You know, am I going to continue doing um, this? 
uh, or we're going to do something different. So I left without a role, went back to Perth, got a, a job working in Perth for a bit and um, in a, a you know, sucker truck company basically and loved it. Like a bloody sewerage sucking shit out of yeah well, they did it was caustic sodas and drain clean all sorts of yeah. stuff and you know it was great for doing what i was doing and and um then one of the shift bosses i was living with at the time said um hey there's a job in the paper here for you and uh i said okay what's all that about you know and it was for uh Petrici, which is a was a clough company and uh, it was a auto electrical supervisor so um we we wrote the application and sent it off and uh, pretty short time i was um working out of indonesia as yeah, an expert right. loving it loving it yeah right where was uh what what operations were you at so we're based in balipapa and in east kalimantan yeah. and so you got you, you it sounds like you got the bahasa down pat when you were over there yeah mate. <laughs> yeah i learned bahasa indonesian while i was there and uh, you literally um sink or swim uh, yep. and so that was the great part of it yeah so um and, and you get into it and you can imagine uh talking in an australian accent with um with every second word is fuck you know mm. <laughs> but so, do you notice australians even when they're talking english to someone from another culture they put the accent on of their culture it's like mate i don't know if that's helping or not it's probably making them <laughs> someone did it the other day we were in um oh he was talking to i forget what nationality this guy was but he, he was putting the accent on he was saying but he was still saying broken aussie english and i'm like <laughs> what are you doing he's like oh, i don't know i'll just act- i'll do that i don't know why i do that yeah. but no we learned we learned to speak bahas indonesian and um but it, it you know and that that in itself allows you to get different roles and move around a lot as well yeah uh, it's as an expat it's more about bringing people up and training people and to replace you yeah you know if you're going across there um selfishly to uh, look after yourself and then you're probably the wrong person to be there mm-hmm. But it goes well beyond being an auto sparky, doesn't it? Like you got to, it's, oh, it's, it's learning, learning how to translate most the, the just the simplest piece of information from you to someone that doesn't speak English. Yeah, and and and, and, and you talk about, uh, you know, you're asking someone to do something, and if they uh, have done it wrong, it's a failing on you because you haven't, you know, explained it properly or, or asked them to repeat. Yep. Because you, the, generally the answer is yes, they don't want to disappoint you, mm. but yes, then they just go and do what they're going to do. You yep. know? So, um, yeah, you've got to take that responsibility. But I still, I still say to today that an Indonesia made me. I didn't change them at all. Yep. You know, changed me, it changed me a lot. Yeah. And do you, how, much, how difficult is it, I guess, taking not being, like, as you said, you've got, to, you've got to try train these people up, but it's, it'd be so tempting just to do everything yourself just so nothing goes wrong. How, how hard is it to do? So I guess take your hands away and, like, give, try and give these people a go to actually develop them. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not easy taking your hands off because, you know, you still have to deliver a product at the end yeah. of the day. Well, you're still, you're still liable for, the, yeah. for their, for their fuck-ups essentially, aren't but, you? But I think you take it way back and to the point where I went back to my – um, TAFE lecturers here in Australia and ask them to help me put together a program and, and bring people up to speed because yeah. I, I didn't want to walk away and not, you know, leave a legacy. And so, um, and, and by the end of it, I mean, we had um, the people that I trained up, you know, they were rewiring, you know, 250-ton diggers by themselves. Yeah, right. You know, so yeah. and, and it's pretty rewarding when yeah, you can do very, that. Very, very sad. It'd be very satisfying saying yeah. that you, you've been there at the and, – and especially when you say, mate, I put blood, sweat and tears <laughs> to make that bastard be able to do that. <laughs> That's right. So what was your – did you go over there as a supervisor essentially, so a, a, a trainer? A supervisor into 
superintendent into project manager and different yeah. roles you know it was yeah it was great you get to move around a lot in different yeah. projects yep yeah. and so when you say project manager was that project manager of an auto sparky or the whole whole yeah the whole, whole a whole yeah. mine or yeah, um, it could be workshops it could be um, we did performance contracts there yep and uh, we had a um a job in tangu down in png and it was um a, a runway job so essentially we were building the runway but we had to get rid of the thousand pound bombs out of the runway first oh jesus christ you know, so there was <laughs> <laughs> there was a few various roles that we under, we undertook yeah right so that was all just from old Old warfare, yeah, like World War Two landmines. Yeah, there was Japanese zeros, you know, hanging around yeah. as well in the jungle there, and yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, you'd you'd be looking at this and you'd reflect on, uh, I guess, your your humble times at Kalgoorlie and like, how the hell did I end up uh, disarming old World War Two bombs to, yeah, <laughs> to well, do a job? It'd be unbelievable. And you're sitting in these really remote villages, sucking on uh, tiger beer and uh, black pepper um, crabs. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. If it's uh, I've never done expat, but you just you hear stories like this. It sounds like such a rewarding experience, but oh, the, and you wouldn't even you wouldn't have expected to be exposed to any of that, would you? On the, when no. you first took this job in Indonesia, I mean, you, you get in, uh, well, you get out of it, or you get put into it. You know, so yeah. there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. Um, but if you just step back and have a look at what you get out of it, I think you should be getting back more. Yep, and. Let me guess, the catalyst for the uh, end of expat life involved, um, <laughs> I guess, your produce, yeah. the, the produce out of work. Yeah. Um, did you, did you, was there a crossover at all between, like, you know, marriage, kids, expat life? Yeah, um, uh, Nikki and I met here and uh, it was part of the honeymoon was to move to Balipapan and, and live there. And so she stayed there for just over a year. Yep. And, uh, and then number one came along, so um, um, she had that um, had him back home. Yep. And number two came along, and he was a little problematic. So um, yep. so that was the end of expat life and support her and and the family and yep. do something different. Yep. Did you tough tough thing to let go of? Because you did a good good stint. Yeah, there. Eight, nine, eight years. Nine you? years away. So yeah. Um, yeah, it is tough to give it away, but uh, I mean. The only thing I was giving away was money, really. That's yep. the, the thing. But then uh, if you don't have a family, what are you doing, you know? It's, uh, yeah, that's exactly. all part of it, you know? How how easy do you think it is to get blinded by the coin you get from expat? Oh, very easy, yeah. yeah. And, and and look at that. I mean, if I look at reflect on my time away, uh, I didn't really learn much um, technically and that why I was away. Um, because there's really no training for expats because you're expected to know a lot. Yeah. You know, so coming back to Australia and you don't realise it until you're here is that um, the training that you get out of an Australian company um, to, you know, train you for the next role essentially, you just don't get that while you're away. Yeah, yeah. So um, you're just not progressing really. Yeah, I'm progressing in roles but um, it wouldn't give me anything close to what I could get in Australia if I was trained. Yeah, and there was I, I, I did read saw an article on uh, one of the mediums the other week, and it was just it, it was specifically talking about um, people that have been working expat for so long, how it doesn't look good on their CV when they're trying to come back to Australia, because as you said, it's. Um, expat people are really good expats and and they yeah. like they could just keep working expats forever but as you said it um it, it might take you further away from some of the advancements you would have got working in australia i'm sure you, you 
the the hardest thing I think it'd be looking at your paycheck once you get back to Australia, thinking, oh, every paycheck you compare to what you were getting as an expat, yeah, that'd be. I'd assume that'd be. How, how long did it take to sort of get over what you were earning over there back to back to Australian um, lifestyle? Because oh, I'm, assume, yeah. I'm assuming you took a bit of a pay cut to do yeah, it. It, it. It took a few years. Yeah. There, um, but what I got back in family far outweighed that. Mm. You know, being there for birth of number two and number three, yeah, um, and, and seeing them grow up, yeah, uh, it's just amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I struggled with it for a long time, um, whether to come back or not. And boss, um, while I was away, he says, "Look, take a few months, think about it." Yeah. And because um, it, it's not easy. No. And what? Because what rosters were you doing over there? Uh, we started at eight weeks on, two weeks off, and we got down oh, to a dizzying five weeks on and two weeks off. Yep. Yep. But that's um, even the two weeks off. You once you're commuting. I suppose it was oh, we it got, many flights to get back to get back to Perth, or was it pretty? No, but even that, we were allowed two days to get home, yeah. and that's from Indonesia, so that was doable. Yeah, it made it a bit yeah. easier. Yeah, because you talk to these poor blokes that work in, you know, Mali and that, for instance, where they, you know, Perth to Dubai, Dubai to Paris, Paris to wherever, like yeah, for wherever in Africa, like that's a. And yeah, she's a two or three day haul each yeah. way. I mean, a couple of years ago, I went into Mali, um, part of my Sambic role, yeah. and you know, it was near on three days to get home. Yeah. So yeah, I can understand that. It's hard. Yeah, yeah, very hard. Um, ever, you ever? I suppose you 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 be heading overseas a lot now. Anyway, as you said. Yeah, well, still, I mean, we uh, for our role, you know, we need to be on top of our game. So we like to visit our factory and yep. meet up uh, and see what others are doing as well, see what the latest products are, yep. but also to get in front of what we're doing here in in APAC as well. Yeah, and as much of the, I guess, of the, the skills, or I guess the expat uh, know-how that you would have got back from the auto sparkies days, is that as much of that transferred into your – your APAC role within Sandvik now, a lot of like the way to develop relationships yeah, in I those expat so. countries. Because, and, and that's, I guess, what Indonesia taught me, right? They're, um, to understand the culture, you, you can't change people like that. You know, you've got to work around them and, and, you know, look at the big picture. And that was something I missed. And, you know, you go in there pretty keen and uh, you need to get a job done, but you just can't change them like that. You've got to bring yeah. them around to your way of thinking or, um, you know, it, you know. sometimes it might be education and just awareness, yeah. you know, and, and and that's the great part of it. I, I, I love seeing different cultures and try to understand them better and, you know, how they work and because and, it's just some beautiful cultures and that's what mm. I, I like to see. Yeah, it will be great. So, look, We'll have a breather in a minute because we want to get in onto your um, your Sandvik life and I yep. guess the exciting stuff you've done there. But look, I'm sure there's some expat guys listening here that are uh, they got the golden handcuffs on, <laughs> stuck in their expat roles. And look, you're a man yourself that, that uh, obviously enjoyed it so much and got probably accustomed to the wage. Have you got a Have you got any like a I guess a message, a bit of advice for for some people out there that might be wanting to get back to the Australian life, but they're uh, a bit bit scared of the pay cut. What, what, what sort of stuff helped you through that? Well, well I think it was more the, the fact that um, I could see family dwindling away. If I hadn't made the cut, I would have yeah. missed out a lot of experiences back home, yeah. um, possibly like a lot of the other expats and be divorced. Um, and that's I, I didn't want to do that at mm -hmm. all. I had no interest. I want to make a big go of it. 
expat life if it doesn't work here in australia expat life is always going to be available there mm. i mean it's it simply only to say i could walk in there tomorrow but um but you could quite easily get another job overseas yeah you know but if there's family here you know there's plenty of good jobs here in australia and the great part about it here is that the australian companies want to train you mm. They always want to train you for your next role, yep. you know, they, and that's the beauty that um, I've been lucky enough with Sambic. They've always trained me for the next role, trained yep. me for the future. Yep. You know, don't be tied up and like that. It's not all about the money. Yeah, and because would you look back on your your spending habits when you're an expat? Would you – is there, is there <laughs> definitely – there's definitely means to uh, reduce a lot of outgoing cash when you do come back to the aussie lifestyle yeah, i mean if you have a look at my um fishing trophies you know i've got, <laughs> yeah. I've got the interline i've got the big gold overhead reel and and everything down to that you know yep. so uh yeah you, you don't need all those trophies <laughs> just buy them on gumtree when an idiot like me is selling yeah, them yeah <laughs> yeah find an expat that's not doing expat anymore <laughs> Jeez, now, right, we'll take a breather mate now, as, as i said we want to get into your get into your sandvik life which is um which is Sounds very, very interesting. Oh, I love coming into these because I've got no half <laughs> these role titles you put up. I'm like, I've got no idea what any of them mean. So I'm literally every question I ask is for myself as well. Okay. <laughs> Jeez, right, Mal. Uh, we're waiting. We we just took a breather. We thought the coffees were going to come in from the truck down there, but uh, if that's a whole. Uh, Bloody though, we if Sandvik goes to shit, mate, and the jumbos go to shit, I reckon we buy one of those coffee trucks for the industrial area. There are, geez, they must bloody they got a little good gig going there. Well, yeah, you get a good flat white or skinny yeah. flat white. They they shouldn't be serving cappuccinos. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's a it should be a good earner. That one that was down here last time I was here, they had like wingdings, and I think that three. <laughs> as I was saying before that three day course I had on the bogger thing. I think it was a cafe up the road. I think I had a chili cheese kransky every day. I was like, oh, this is a trap, this, uh, this <laughs> perfect <they>, life. <laughs> I stay away from the guts truck, not interested. Yeah, how do you go uh, – how, how'd, you, how'd you go from going mine site based back to Monday to Friday Perth, having to bring your own lunch in or and all that after being catered for for so many years? <laughs> and a lot of people are going to hate me for this, but I don't make my own lunch. Oh, good on you, Nikki. Yeah, what Nikki looks after me and uh, and even if she's crook, she'll still put a lunch together. Yep. And uh, and if if she's so crook, she'll feel so sorry for me and – and uh, but yeah, I'm I am blessed in this department. Yeah, that's a good choice. You come back from the expat <laughs> life, mate. Doesn't sound like you wanted to lose that one. What a legend! What a legend! That's do you notice you just get so you get so hungry so quick when you when you're in the office uh, when yeah. you're not when you're not hands aren't moving all day bloody twitching wires and everything. Do you just get hungry very easily now? Uh, and it, it's a tough one because you automatically. Uh, I think you're eating just because of the habit yep. now rather than anything else. And, and that's the biggest trap. I mean, I've gone on, um, and no real plug, but you've gone, I've gone on to those health foods and stuff like that. So, well, that, but what are they, you foods or, uh, yeah. And, oh. and for that type of stuff there, when they give you a measured dose, um, each yeah. meal. So, um, so it's, you know, the size of your fist you, you, or whatever. You pour it on a plate and there's fucking nothing there, is there? But like, just cause you know, it's one. But you serving, drop the kilos, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, um, yeah, because that work, I'll literally take I'll take a peanut butter sanger or a Vegemite sanger down the aisle with me to get me from, you know, 6 o'clock to 6 o'clock that night. 
um, put me in an office. Like it's 10.30 at the moment. I'm fucking starving. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm probably going to get a chili cheese cream skip for yeah. lunch, I reckon. I was built like a stick when I was um, when working yeah. uh, working for a living, but yeah. yeah, it's hard now. Yeah, I can't. Um, oh, that's that's the main thing keeping me underground is just free exercise, <laughs> I think. Or it's just, yeah, not- And not, a free food. Not eating. Oh, that's uh, The missus says- um, she she wants to just go do FIFO for a couple of weeks because I tell her I tell her how much we're fed up the ass there like, like with food and um, how much he looked after and she's like, she's slaving away like a bloody yeah like a well, like a slavey with kids and shopping and balancing yeah. everything we're doing it it's exciting this week we're getting I'm getting I might regret this because she's got I think she's going to tear me a new one I'm in front of everyone <laughs> but we're getting her and another mate are coming on to do a FIFO wives episode oh nice just to you know a bit of a that side of the you know the the poor the 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 troopers out there like nikki that are you know making lunches and, and yeah. doing all that stuff from from home that probably don't get the recognition but i said to the missus i said just remember whose show this is don't come on and act like you normally do around me because i think she's going to ridicule me in front of everyone I'm a bit wary and i think if you have a look at uh, a successful uh, partnership let's call it from uh, for fifos you need someone strong back home. Well, you're you know? a team. You, yeah. you, you can't look at it. And I'm sure you, unfortunately, used to be looked at as like, I'm out there earning the money. This is this is her job at home. It's not you're you're a team. It's not like that. You, yeah. Well, you take one you take one of one of those ones away, and you the, the whole joint falls apart essentially. So. Oh yeah. I mean, if you want to start ruling the roost when you come home, you're probably going to come back to a single life. Yeah. Exactly. And and it won't be enjoyable being home. No. As well. Yeah, she's <laughs> the missus uh, because there's a uh, you know those FIFO wives um Facebook pages and yep. that and they um the husbands probably don't know this but a lot of the wives get on there and just you know they're sharing their struggles and everything and some some get on there and say you know the husband will get home from fifa and they'll just sit there play playstation or work they're like this is my break and uh this is i deserve this and the poor the poor missus is uh just continues after being at home by herself continues to slog it out while the husband's home as well um yeah i know as soon as i hop in the door it's uh hands off hands off for mum usually because uh yeah you got to you got to give them a break yeah she went out the other night for dinner um and i was sitting at home by myself and i'm just like shit it's quiet here it's fucking pretty lonely she's like that's what i fucking deal with every week <laughs> <laughs> but, it, it, but it's the same and, and and for those that work in perth you know you get home at that um five six o'clock in in the evening yep. and it's psycho hour oh you know they're going, and, and they're at the end of their tether and and you come home and go what's wrong with them you know yep. so it, it's the, having that understanding as well and, and and try to play a part in that yeah and you're uh you'd be past the stage where the whole tiles of the kitchen and just covered in chewed up half chewed up vegetables and shit that all the kids can feed themselves now I go well, so that we've had the same house now for what seven years and uh, it is we've got a seven-year-old now a uh, what we 10 and 11 year old yep. so there's not a clean wall through the whole place <laughs> you know and there's three boys so yeah, it yep, is yep. just disaster yeah uh, it's gonna be the builder clean the house up when we finish and want to sell is just gonna be terrible <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, just paint over it, mate. It's the handprints, isn't it? Yeah. They just, they just got to have the hands on everything. The wind, you, you don't notice it until you have to clean it. Oh, it's the skateboard through the corner or something <laughs> like that, you know. It is the basketball you just just gone through. And, and how many times have we told you about having a ball in the house? <laughs> <laughs> have you uh, any aspiring uh, auto sparkies or miners coming out of those three boys, Mel? Uh, not out of those three, but I do have a nephew who's pretty keen on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are they? Where are those? Have you got a what's uh, your sons? What are they uh, sporty? Where are they yeah, all, they so all different between the three of them? Or they, they are. So number one is a soccer player. Number two is a guitar. Yep. Uh, I'm starting to learn that. And number three is uh, just a terrorist at the minute. So let's just see where <laughs> see how that goes. Hopefully he doesn't go into that role. But <laughs> <laughs> right, mate. Let's go into. I guess you you. Your prolific career with Sandvik, we'll call it, where where you where you've got to today. What? How, how did it come about? How was? How did you get into Sandvik itself? Yeah, so so I was an expat. I was working away, and I needed to come home. So I, I'd already uh, done some time in Indonesia with uh, with Sandvik as well. So I had some contacts. So I rang them up and said, "Guys, I'm coming home. What have you got for me?" Yep. So we went through a bit of an interview and, and a bit of a discussion, and end up uh, we had some performance contracts here in Perth, uh, in WA, uh, and that was Darlow Lawlers and Plutonic, and uh, and so I came in as maintenance manager. Yep. So uh, so that was my um, you know big you know trip into Sandvik and and to see how it all worked, and I guess and and I reflect back on now that. Uh, what I didn't know because we didn't have the safety culture. You know, we were safe, but we didn't have the safety culture. Mm. We didn't have the the technical terms, all that sort of stuff. So that was a, you know, um, a bit of a learning curve as well. Some things that you miss out yep. while you're being an expat. Yeah, because even when you come into, like, you know, what mine site safety is like in in Australia, very very stringent. You got your workplace inspections and yeah, and all that. So I gather it's that all translates into walking around a sandvik factory as well is it yeah i mean the, the the stuff that we take for granted here in australia is uh, you, you have a you know this mentality you want to be safe and uh, be it's the process around it that um and that protects you you know there's it's the buildings you know it's everything it's the walking in um what are you going to wear and all that type of stuff yeah, so yeah 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 and so maintenance manager what did that role entail initially, and I, and I guess how different was it, or similar to what you were doing as a, a, a overseas as an expat? Yeah, and and similar and different. I mean, you're still managing three. We had about a hundred people working for us, um, various amounts of um, equipment, so all, obviously all Sandvik product, yeah. um, in three different sites. So it was a lot of different people that you mix with, and and a, a same right, lots of different cultures. You know, this is. Uh, a, a, a part in time where um, Sandvik imported a lot of people from different countries and brought them in. So there was a big mix of different people. And these guys are fly and fly out. They're nine and fives and all sorts of nine and sixes, all sorts of different yep. rosters. So um, have them all together and their different needs. Uh, and, and I think that was the biggest issue was the people issue because the, the maintenance stuff, you know, doesn't change on a day-to-day basis in general repairs to equipment. Yep. Um, but the... The neediness of the Australian worker is what really got me. Yep, yep. And cause like, and a lot of people wouldn't know, a lot of listeners probably don't, when you say you're managing all these Sandvik people, a lot of people probably don't even know these people exist. Because um, I know our site, for instance, we've got a you know, Sandvik guy that 
changes the steels and uh, the bits and st- all that each morning yep. for the jumbos and the long holes. But the guys you were managing, are they, uh, I guess, when, when something's there's issues with a Sandvik uh, machine on site that you need a Sandvik representative to come up with? They, they're the guys guys and girls you were managing, were you? Yeah, so the performance contracts for us at that stage, we had a project manager on site. Yep. Um, they had their planners. Uh, these are all Sandvik people yep. uh, and the supervisors and, uh, and then their workers um that were doing the day-to-day work so it was a complete you know even store people complete samic operation yeah right maintaining the equipment yep yep so essentially the workshop was run by samvic not the actual client or the contractor samvic was the contractor we were essentially the contractor is there any of those any places run like that now Uh, there's still a couple of them around yeah but in different formats Yep. So that was with Barrett. They, they were Barrett, all Barrett. They were all Barrett right? sides at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Is that is that something that Sandvik desire to get on a site? Um, it's what became very clear out of that is the the arms and legs um, to have on site is very difficult. Yep. So to have uh, um, you know all those people on site, you know, man, man, managing those people, and yep. um, where all we really want to do is have the machines uh, working. Yeah. So we found other ways to yep. um, to affect that, and those other ways I'm assuming is training, knowledge, empowering. Yeah. Every every organisation to to take on the Sandvik maintenance themselves. So it's sometimes it could be an expert on site. Yep. You know, and, and having that person that transfer that knowledge across, you know, manage the the the, the paperwork and the updates between um, the client and Sandvik. Because there's a lot of lot of training courses as well within Sandvik, isn't there? I talk to the fitters we on do site that fitters on site that go and do like you know jumbo courses, bogger courses about, uh, and then refreshes about because it's obviously continuously changing. Yeah, all the technology. Yeah, we and that's part of it, you know, bringing those people along with us. You know, we we'll walk out there today, we'll find some of your brethren yep. out there walking around and um, learning a bit about it. But yep. um, it, to pass that knowledge, I mean, there's, um, I think there's uh, there's so many people on site and fitters and that are hungry for this information. Yeah. I know I was when I was on the floor. Yep. Um, how it all worked and um, yep. you know get more insight into what they're actually doing. Mm. The one of the some of the best fitters I've seen you. I remember one of them specifically was at Telfer and he, you'd sit at the tag board waiting for re-entries to clear. And he had, um, they gave him like an iPad, they had an iPad with the, all the modules for the Sandvik jumbos and he'd just be scrolling through and looking. It's got all the pressures, all the like everything, just learn essentially learning the machine inside yeah. out because he, he's like that knowledge is such a power, especially when you're trying to fault find and everything but it essentially also for for jumbos and, and or even trucks and loaders you know sitting down a face um stopping a face you know you got to you're waiting on a cut to fall and you're the jumbo is still stuck there mm. you need you know you can't afford to go back to the service or be calling someone you need to know there and then or have mm. the, the the paperwork with you you can't remember everything yeah you know and that's we've tried to do helpful little books along the way that people can carry around with them yep and how much of this stuff has evolved since you since you've been here yeah a lot there's more and more training courses that we've ever done you know yeah. the, i don't think there's a week gone by that our training rooms aren't booked and uh, and that's you know goes for kalgoorlie it can be adelaide it could be brisbane as well yeah you know, there's a lot going on yeah yeah and what what sort of from, like from this maintenance side of things any any sort of stuff that you can 
put your hand up and say you're a big influential part of bringing into Sandvik any of those uh, training calls, like stuff you were really heavily involved in during your early tenures? Yeah, and now? the stuff that I, I like to push is the uh, – we've all everyone knows the little uh, book of knowledge for the drills. Yep. And I've pushed really hard. I'll get a copy of that today if you don't yeah. want. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've pushed really hard to have that on the trucks and the loaders yep. because they were falling back. So yep. uh, it's a um, – I, I think I've, I've pushed that really hard. Yeah. And, you know, it helps. You, you've got a loader there that's not getting tons out or a truck there that's not carting to the, to the ROM, you know. It's, it's all pretty important stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, now your next role. This, this sounds like you're just a bean counter, but I'm sure it's not. <laughs> Sandvik account manager. Yeah, so within Sandvik, we, have, um, we look after accounts. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a, I guess, a, some people call them a salesperson. Yep. Uh, but the, we have an, a bunch of accounts and that, um, that person will look after a, a series of accounts. So we had a, a restructure and I took advantage of that and, yep. um, and jumped the other jumped the fence and to the, to the fluffy side of it. Yep. And I mean, I'm, I'm a talker to start with, so I, I'd really enjoy getting into that side because it, it gives you an ability to, because essentially we don't sell, you know, that's not what it's about. We provide solutions, yep. you know, because if, if you're trying to sell, you'll get one sale and that's it, people yep. move on. But if you're actually providing a solution, you know, you'll continue that business. So when you say an account, so I assume Sam have an account with Burncut and an account with Barminko, is that is that what the yeah. defines an account? Yeah, so the, you know, the Northern Stars, you know, the New Crest and, yep. and New Mons and stuff. So, so it's, it's a lot of, it's, it's per, it's, I guess per customer. would you say it's a, it's a customer relations role? Like you're you're maintaining the relationships with each of those each of those organisations to maintain the account that Sandvik holds. Yeah, so we have have um, in, in various roles in that, and depends on the account would be depends on um, or the customer depends on how many it actually can handle. Yep. Because when I started that account management role, there um, I had like nine customers. And eventually, as you build your customers up, you know, you can't put enough attention on. So they're like your children. You have to try and, you know, pass them across to someone so they mm. can run with them yeah. um, to, to look after them. Because um, as you're building up, you know, and for various reasons, it could be, you know, a big contract or it could be, um, you know, a different product. But yeah, it's, as you build them up, you know, you start dwindling in your accounts. Yeah. And that, I assume when you've got to this, account manager role that that was when you realized you're like holy shit my life doesn't involve any being an auto sparky at all now what yes is, and then you're really hands off <laughs> yeah 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 by the sounds you nearly chopped them off at the wrist by the sounds yeah. it's, um but there's you you've still got the lingo i the lingo you've developed from being so hands-on for so long you no one will pull the wool over your eyes. No, in, and, in and that's right. I mean, it's it's still I, and that's why I enjoy my um, parents had a farm up Northampton way, and I still get uh, enjoyment out of going up there and knocking around in old tractors and harvesters yep. and stuff. You know, it's to keep a hand in. It's still something that I really enjoy doing. Yeah, you know, rewinding a field or something like that in a starter motor, and yep. you know, just getting back to basics. Yeah, just say, oh, I can still, I've still got it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so that, that I guess what. What's your your day a day, and you've obviously gone from account manager uh, ranked through the account manager roles, key account manager, global account manager. What, what, what's a, I guess your your nine to five or your day to day role as an account manager? A lot a lot of it is 
essentially tra- traveling to the account holders, I assume. Well, yeah. I mean, for a, the, well, the difference is the size of the account and, and uh, I guess it's in all the, in the regions that they are. Because if you look at, obviously, global means that they're a global customer, they move around. And you're trying to look after and make sure that um, you, you're essentially the single point of contact that they need for Sandvik, right? So yep. uh, they come to you, you know, this is not working in this country and this site, you know, can you help yep. me out? Yeah. And that's that's probably a pleasant way of asking. It, it doesn't yeah, always yeah, get, yeah. get that pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and, you know, you, you hold internally accounted as much as um, anything else, you know. Yep. It's, we're not perfect. We never admit to that. But, you know, we're always going to try and do the right thing yeah. where we can. Oh, that, yeah, you got to look at the complexity of those, any machine. You, you just got to look under the bottom of the jumbo, the amount of hoses going left, right, and center. It's just there's so many... There's a hundred thousand elements that need to be all perfect for the a machine to run perfectly. Um, yeah, but I mean, if you look at you start now looking at those global accounts. I mean, we have um, the factories in Finland, right? So you're delivering equipment all around the world, and you've got to make sure that everything is in place. It looks the same. It feels the same. Yep. Um, it can be accepted. It's all paid for. You know, yep. it's it's paid for. They pay for what they've actually asked for. And yep. You know, it, it's gets quite complex. Oh, it'd be uh, it's such a mind-boggling thing to think about especially just making a bogger or a truck or a jumbo like the qiqc that will be involved as you say that every attempting to have every follow every machine to be a near replica of the one before like there'd be so i would just be mind-boggling to go into those factories to see the as I said, the QAQC and the, the processes that have to be followed to create exact repli- replicas of such a complex machine. Yeah, I mean, it's a buzz for us as well to get to the factory and see the machines be built yep. uh, and also see the new technologies. Uh, we have the luxury of having uh, the underground mine in our in our Tampere facility yep. and it's a real working. You can get there and um, even you, you know, you can get there and, and, and drill a face out. Because mm. so. they, they go, like, they, they take a... Um, the new jumbos and everything, so they take them down their bore like a few hundred holes in the face, don't they? To like to calibrate pressures and everything when they're building these jumbos. Yeah, so everything is tested. Yeah, yeah. All the all the drills uh, doesn't matter whether it's surface underground. Uh, they're all tested prior to um, to leaving the factory. Yep, yep. Um, I I did hear a story at the wet mess one night from a, a fellow that had been over to Sweden. I think he was a Birmingham fella. This is, as I say, I can make stories up on this. It doesn't really matter. But he said, <laughs> I can confirm a, or deny yeah, too. <laughs> he said they'd like they'd go down and like drill like a few hundred holes in a face and um to like you know test all these test the jumbos and then there was a like an old retired folder in um in Finland that had just he'd um. He'd go down there and once they'd done all the testing, he'd go down, bore the perimeter and a burn in there each time to, you know, take the cut and then they'd got a new face to do the testing. Um, not a bad retirement job. I don't know if that's true or not. but it's- it, it wouldn't, Well, essentially it wouldn't be far from the truth because yeah. they, um, they do fire quite often. Yeah. And uh, because they do, they, they're near every inch is bored. Yeah. So uh, there's no waste. Yeah. And um, hardly any oversize in that, uh, which no, is always cool. You wouldn't, you, the, most of the cuts come out in fines before. God, I'd be bogging bloody running into holes and bogging steels left, right, and center. Yeah. But it's uh, how, how many times you've been over there? Oh, yeah. I, I work probably now a couple of times a year. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so yeah, a few times. Yeah, so. And what's the flight route to get over to Finland? Oh, for us, it's either uh, Perth, Singapore or Hong Kong directly into Helsinki. Yeah, right. And then a nice little train ride up. Yeah, yeah. And what's well, pretty cold climate? Uh, is it warm, warmer in this like is it warmish in the summer over there or it's pretty cold all year round yeah it's reasonably warm uh you know they have their 25 to 30 degrees and sometimes yep. a little bit more extreme but yep. they're um but i've managed to always get it between that march and september so it's always been pretty good yeah, <laughs> when yeah. i've got there yeah what's the what, what's the culture over there like is it very sort of eastern europe uh, no, the Finns, the Finns are a little, uh, a little different in their personality. They're um, they're quite reserved in general. Yeah. So uh, so that you've got to pull them out of their shell. Yeah. Uh, but amazing uh, engineers and um, and really great people to deal with. Yeah. What what's the scale? How big is that? Is there just one factory over there that covers all Sandvik, or there's numerous? factories within finland that sandvik had yeah i think i think we're down now to about 125 factories globally yeah so uh, it's you know there's turku in in um, finland you also got tampere and that's part of surface and underground as yeah. well there's um you know in in fin uh, in sweden we have the the rock tools factory in sandviken yeah. um special materials um um, the tooling side as well and you've also got the the crushes that come out of sweden in melmo yeah so and then you start heading to the us and the surface drills as well yep. it, it's there's a lot going on and what would you let's just say that factory the where your boggers trucks jumbos and that are getting manufactured in finland how many bunnings would you fit in this factory <laughs> how like give us an idea of how big these factories are um turku would oh yeah, it's easy to see it on the surface. Um, it's probably about a no. Uh, if we look at the area, it's probably about ten bunnings worth. Holy shit! And then if we go into Tampere, it's probably you know fifteen bunnings, and then you've probably got another four or five bunnings underground. Yeah, right. Really, because it's um, solid, like solid bloody basalt over there. Is it? They, they reckon just that they blast yeah. it. No, there's no ground support or anything needed. It's hard. Uh, well, they ground support because otherwise we'd all get freaked out when we went over there. But oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, but if you look at what they're doing underground, we have simulations for um, loaders on automation, simulators for trucks on automation. Yep. You've got um, surface uh, drills on the top uh, being operated underground by teller remotes. You've got yep. the automation um, center there as well. Yep. Uh, you also have um, all the, the production drills and the development drills all working at one time, you know, somewhere yep. down there. And all part of none of that is revenue generated. They're not getting ore or anything. It's purely just a testing, a mine that is there to facilitate the testing of Sandvik equipment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, geez, it'd be handy if there was a gold vein they could chase <laughs> while they were down there. <laughs> but that's why it gives you as real life as there is and having um, testing as yep. close as you can down to where the engineers are. Yep, yep. So – when you when you've gone for like global account manager when that was that would have involved a shitload of traveling or sure you're pretty far away were you did you miss consecutive weeks at home or would you, was the traveling within a monday to friday or um yeah you miss simple as that yeah you miss a few weekends at home but they're um, like you get to places like mali um have a look in there as well you get to um indaba which is a, an awesome thing similar to diggers and dealers on steroids though yeah yeah um, it's, it's pretty big in in cape town um, but a lot of it is is still done um through head offices and that we deal with here 
So it's not a lot more travel, but there's a lot more um, early morning or late night meetings and stuff on Skype or Teams or whatever the, yep. the application that you use at the time. Yeah, yeah. And all these account manager roles you've had, have you been strictly trucks boggers? Have you have you done have you what what sort of machine range have you covered? Did you cover within Sambic over those roles? Yeah, so for me um, with those roles, I mean, I generally dealt with a lot of contractors and some mining houses as well. But so a lot of it's trucks, loaders, drills, some surface drills. Yeah, there's um, some crushing and screening side in it. Rock tools is a is a big part of it as well, um, and general services. You know, so there's um, a service element to all of this as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, your next role, the, the, the role you're in now, business line manager. Now, I said to Stralo when we interviewed him, he said, I said, you're chief development officer. I said, is it as simple as the fact that you can just make up a name for a title <laughs> like chief development officer? He's like, Matt, it is literally as simple as that, yes. <laughs> business line manager, what is a business line manager? So, if firstly, uh, let's talk about the made-up part. Uh, <laughs> we, we have a, a, a global compliance, so it doesn't matter what country in, uh, the structure looks the same. Yep. So, we all know what each other's doing. You can't just make stuff up. Northern Star can on That's not how we do things uh, as much as we like and as much as some of the titles you might think that. Uh, but the business, um, business line manager is you look after the P&L for a certain product. Yep. You know, so we have profit and loss. Yeah, yep. yeah. So we we have um, underground drills and um, uh, Mel Campbell's here in, in this building. We've got crushing and screening. We have um, parts and we have service. We have um, surface drills, expiration drills, all that sort of stuff. So yep. you you are all encompassing everything to do with that product you know how you yeah. support it what products you bring in what what does the customer look for yeah. uh, where are the trends going all that sort of stuff yeah so it's it's um you make sure that those account managers have a product to sell yeah so are you you've gone from essentially in account manager you're you're looking at the present you're looking at what we've got at the moment is your business line manager is really looking towards the next the future yeah the so you're securing generation. you know you're securing jobs for the next you know five to ten years essentially in the area yeah yeah and how much is that uh people-based technology-based are you looking at you're looking at future accounts as well but you're looking at future technology as well yeah so you're looking at um, the different markets where it's going to head um, also um, how how that's going to impact um today versus tomorrow what's media and uh, media hype versus reality as well yeah because there's a lot of that that goes on in the industry yeah so you you've come into this in 2017 what are the big i guess were the big ticket items when you did that i assume climate change uh fossil um, fuels was one automation what 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 were sort of the things that you were uh those future future things you were looking at so when I was on the, the the push in from the account management side, automation was was big. Yeah. So and then um, I actually had automation under myself for a little bit before um, we got it was too big to look after. So we we yep. outsourced that as well to another another person. But they're around. Um, so automation's always big. But uh, and so not one size fits all as well. There's always going to be teleremotes and there's always going to be single um, automation for a single unit 
uh, all the way up to fleet, right? So yep. um, that was probably one of the biggest things. And then probably not long into it, nano diesel particulates came into it, yep. and um, that was a that was a big push. So we've done a lot of work around that as well. Yep. And um, um, you know, we've, we've been praised for the work that we've done with it because it's uh, it wasn't easy, and there was a lot of criticism around it as well. Yeah. You know, big dirty miners. Um, what are they doing? Um, killing their people, black lung, all that sort of stuff. You know, yep. the rhetoric around that. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, I was only looking at some articles this morning, like the tests they did at Sunrise Dam for, you know, for nano diesel particulates. And look, we're going to do we're going to do a separate episode on this with Mal about some yep. of the, uh, and that's one of the topics we're going to talk about the looking at the future and the technology and in and innovation. But it's uh, it, look, it's comforting to know when you're cruising around in an open cab jumbo trim and to- between sites and trucks driving past you it's comforting to know that there is a lot of work going on within stuff like nano diesel particulates to to protect us because yeah. you're, you're breathing in some shit down there that's that is the environment but yeah it doesn't mean just because we want to work in an underground mine that, that we're accepting that we're going to breathe it in it's just it's no, good to see there's a lot and of work a lot of it being that you know, you're trusting in um, your company to give you the latest technology and the safest product, as well as they're trusting in us yep. to, to give us that safe product uh, that, that you can use as well. Yep. So with this role, what the business line managers looks like, such a massive, massive focus area for you. Is it when you when you first took it? I assume, as you said, you're you're always getting trained up for that for that next role. Was is there was it an easy transition to or was it a bit mind-boggling sometimes to be like really overseeing <laughs> such a wide variety of things? Yeah, it, and it is because there um, there's great responsibility in that, and when you, the enormity of it when it when it finally happens, you know, be careful what you wish for, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and and you're being um, given this product and, and to run with it. I mean, I, I mean, I'm passionate in anything I do, so I don't do it by halves. And going out there and, and try to work out who those customers are, um, what they're looking for, and, and, and what are they doing with the product. Um, you know, there's always product issues, but it's how you deal with them. Mm. You know, so um, you know, no one's out there to abuse you. They they're frustrated and, and want to work with you to try and solve it. Yeah. So um, a lot of it is round based around the product, but it's also there's a lot of information sessions that we do to to pass that information on and communicate. You know, this is what you have today. Um, you know, you also question the, the customers. What do you see tomorrow? What do you want tomorrow? Yeah. And so we know we're in the right path as well. Mm. So look, take us through the chain. So you are you've interacted with a a client, an account manager. A, someone's come to you and said oh this is this is where we're at on site with our loaders and trucks this is this is what i want yep. or this is what we want this is uh and this is one thing you've been told by one one account then you go to numerous other accounts they've got different things that they want some of them might be opposite to, to other ones where do you go with that information what 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 is where does that information flow from the accounts through to Sandvik and back to the accounts eventually yeah so th- there's always feedback um, t- to our own people we keep our own people up to date as much as we can yeah. you know so we give them the feedback of what um, you know like we're going through refresh of the products at the moment because you can't always come out with a new design um, but you go through a refresh and okay because that's based on uh, what the customers are asking for yep you know so there, there's a lot of that and, and 
a lot of the customer wants to um, to hear that as well because if you're going in a tender, you want to understand what uh, if you've backed the right horse mm. in all of this as well. Because yeah. if you're not listening, if you're not changing, then um, they, they might go elsewhere. Yeah, and but in, even in terms of like internal with Samic, like who who are you? reporting this to like you this it just filters down i assume filters down such a massive chain yeah back and, to the and actual man like and all the way back to finland i assume there's a lot of contact points in this right so it depends on who the contact person is that the the customer has with the company right so it could be the the parts people it could be the rock tools people yep. uh, but it could be the account manager or the technical sales reps you know so you, you pass that information down or back up uh, if it's a consistent message, we pass it back to the factory, you know, and, and yep. factories take that on board uh, or into their next designs and are they getting the same message globally? Yep. Um, is this a new trend? You know, because if you look at uh, Australia and the way we mine, uh, it's very different to others, you know, mm. like you have a look at your, your jumbos, you know, you're bolting and scaling with the, with the jumbo where yep. other countries, you, know, you talk to, to Stralo, what's going on in, in Pogo, mm. you know, they're, um, uh, they've managed to change that culture, but that's an unusual case, right? Yeah, it's a it's very pioneer, pioneering sort of effort. Yeah. And like, it's, it's, it's that wear and tear, isn't it? Like you, you apply using jumbo, like, if you've just got a jumbo boring all day, God, you don't do, you hardly ever do shanks or, and drifters last forever. As soon as you start scaling and bolting and changing how this machine operates, it can significantly affect its life or its lifetime or its frequency of uh, maintenance, I guess. Yeah. And I think probably one of the things that opened my eyes up, I took, um, uh, well, I went with some customers back to our Rock Tools factory in um, San Vican. And we come back through Vesperger and uh, Vesperger are hard materials and they do a lot of work there. And it's not until you see the work that these people do with hard materials and the mixes of cobalt and, and um, tungsten that um, you realise the work that goes into this. And it's not just a dumb rock tool anymore. Mm. you know. And, and these guys were project managers and that, and they were just fascinated. You know, yeah. so it's a whole healthy new respect for essentially a dumb tool. Yep, yep. It's... Uh Oh, it's just and it, but it'd be so for for such an international organisation, how you can, as you said, like each each country mines differently. How you can essentially create a product that can attempt to try and keep everyone happy. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that will is that one of your biggest one of the biggest global challenges of being a global producer like yeah, Sam. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I guess with Australia market and and I mean, I speak for the you know four by four. Um, declines upwards because that's our market yep. um, we drive that big market yep. you know for the for the contractors that go uh, offshore and the australians that go offshore they really dominate in that area and are starting to change markets as well to the australian way of mining mm. so when you're talking about some of the stuff that uh feedback from operations about you know product improvements and driving change have you got any examples of some of the things within trucks and boggers that have changed from original designs based on the feedback of just just 
bogger operators and truck drivers. Yeah, if we go back to the LH517 Classic, so 17-tonne loader, right? Yep. Uh, we went to the market in 2015. We got um, operators of them. We got uh, maintainers and the mining people involved in it, uh, people involved in those decisions, the users of the product. And, okay, here's the 517 Classic. What do you like? What don't you like? Should we throw it in the bin? Uh, or should we just improve it? And the, the general majority said, okay, it's not a bad loader, but you need to do this. Yep. You know, so, and, and strangely enough, um, as much as everyone talks about automation, the big push on that was on ergonomics in the cabin. Yeah, right. Yep. So that's that was one of the big pushes. And then it was simplify the hydraulics, you know, make it work in a hotter environment. Yeah, uh, was another driver. Yep. So, um, so that was a, a. So then we brought it out and we launched it in um, late 2017. Yeah. So, uh, so that was a. You know, that's driven by the customers. Yeah. What's? I, I guarantee I'm gonna I'm gonna put this up on underground miners, and you're always gonna get everyone like, <laughs> ah, fucking tear, they're, they're fucking broken all the time at our joint. Like you know, like there's just there's just there, there's gonna be whinges everywhere, no matter what, no matter who you interview from yeah. any any manufacturer. What's what's probably even back to your auto sparky days but like what what let's just talk about like a sandvik bogger for instance what are you like because they're, they're a lot different to what you know the, the older bogs like you got your ad blue like you got all like your extra system the electric over hydraulic what are you what are some of your big things bogger operators should be looking at to look looking at like some of the golden rules to look after the machine and not yeah like, i mean and possibly and- mitigate these whinge and bloody oh they they downtime and stuff like that if you look at ad blue you know that was also driven by the market because the market was pushing uh, to have cleaner engines yeah so as much as everyone says that, that ad blue is not a good thing it does this and it does that that's driven by the market to get cleaner engines right yeah. so we're at the cleanest we can do um up until uh, this year when we're bringing out the stage five engines yep. so you know so look What's after sta- stage five engines in the sort of your fifth design is that what you mean by that yeah so there's um if you go through the the, the tiers the tiers and stages depends on the country yep. um it's stages for europe and it's tiers for the u.s market uh, they're reasonably aligned you know some slight differences yeah but so um, we're bringing those stage fives in uh in the the, the loaders later this year because yep. that's also driven by the market yep. it's driven by nano particulates it's driven by ventilation yeah you know all that sort of stuff so these are um where where the um the the, the use of the product make a big difference yeah but i mean if you have a look at it you know make sure your machine's greased on a daily basis that, yep. that's the big part of it yep. you know um you know, you make sure it's um, got the right GET on it. Make sure it's not blunt. You know, make sure you're not you're not you know, you're not disrespecting um, the, the blade on the front, the sharp yep. end versus the blunt end. Yeah, yeah. And what about uh, you know, your idle down times and like, because one of the fitters, uh, one of the maintenance managers up at work the other week said to make sure. One of the things he said about the the Sandvik boggers was like, when you 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 do your idle down, don't just hop straight out and isolate your isolate your 24 volt your diesel because that need the 90 seconds you need the vacuum to suck the ad blue back otherwise it'll crystallize is that on the right track there or yeah so there's there's various things in place you idle it down to protect the turbo yep uh, and then you leave it for 90 seconds to keep that memory in it there's there's a few other things that happen in the same time but you um you don't isolate straight away that's that's not part of a smart machine Mm. 
But there, there's so many. You can things. hear that. You can hear that noise. Like even though when you've you've idled down to stop, you can hear that like that sucking noise. But then you isolate it; it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what is it? So don't essentially idle down for what's your idle down times on? Uh, well, the, the idle idle down. I mean, they've all got a preset, yep. so um, you can work within that preset. But as soon as you open the door, it senses that the machine should be shut down. Yeah. So that cuts it short, and so then hence you don't get your idle down. Okay. So you don't open the door. Sit there in the aircon. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy. And it. Yeah, just chill in your paperwork and then so once it's done that idle down you're saying what what time do you wait before hitting that hitting i think it was about 90 seconds yeah. yeah there's a little sign that says it anyway if i'm wrong so yeah. i'm sure someone's going to tell me i'm wrong but um but yeah it's just well, we put a sign there zero <laughs> <laughs> very good uh i think we've covered we've covered the mal story pretty well yeah that's uh that's been a good insight. It's 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 always so interesting to see the path someone's taken from you know twi- twitching wise all the way to not twitching wise. How, yeah. how how any role within once you're getting into the mining industry is such a gateway to many many other roles because you, oh, you would is. not have envisaged doing this. Was this part? What was your when you started being an auto sparky? What what was your goal? I don't think I had any. Um, when I'd seen, I was working Earn as much money as possible. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. I mean, when I was working for Clough in um, Telfer, um, their company was Petrosy overseas, you know, and so there was a bit of a goal to do something overseas, but nothing more yeah. complicated than that. Yeah. So you, you've uh, this is Sam Big for life, job for life here now, mate. Oh, you talk to my missus. Ble- I mean, I bleed blue, <laughs> <laughs> bleed ad blue. <laughs> That's not healthy. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Th- thanks very much for part one. So as I said, we're gonna let's give him a bit of a snippet of what we're going to talk about in part two. There's uh, so much technology and innovation in within Sambic within the world of mining. What, what's What's some of the big ticket items we're going to go over in part two, Mel? Well, one of my key favourites at the moment is our artisan acquisition. Yep. So full battery swap units, so um, um, trucks and loaders. So let's have a discussion about that. Yep. So um, this is a bit of a like a bit of an Elon Musk sort of theme. We're go, look, going down the Tesla route. Well, it is in California. Yep. So uh, yeah, we could see a bit of that. Yeah. Um, I think nanoparticles is is you know, let's dispel some of these myths yep. um, out there as well. So nano. When we, we've always just heard the term diesel particulates, elemental DPMs. carbon, yeah, is there a difference between DPMs and this nano DPMs? So DPMs is what you can see, so that's the black smoke. Yeah, the nano particles is, is what they're talking about is stuff that you can't see. Yeah, so they're um, and that's we talk about the, the tears in the engine, and uh, it's that really small stuff. So under one hundred. Yep. is a nanoparticle i think i read today i think it was with a hundredth of the width of a hair part hair follicle yeah it's like very very it's, thin yeah it's tiny yeah yeah so even your dust mask or any mask you know hepa filters whatever in the cabin useless no good for you no. yeah yep so, um, um and i guess any what about like truck like the electric's a big one that's a that's a big one the dpms what else about innovation with trucks and boggers uh yeah i mean if we have a look at um what might be possible in the future we have maybe a mix of different um electric versus hybrid versus um what what else could be happening in that big you know that big business out there when we're talking about those big long 13 kilometer hauls Mm. how do we solve that yeah yeah 
Oh, very good, mate. Get your facts and figures ready because I'm gonna. <laughs> we're gonna just be uh, everything you hear in that next next episode will be a hundred percent true. You won't <laughs> even need to go to Wikipedia. That'd no, be good. Can't wait for that, mate. We'll have a. We'll have a. I might even go for a bit of a tour through the factory. Yeah, let's do it, brother. Yep. Fantastic. Right. Thank you very much, Mel. And uh, look, if anyone's uh, anyone's having any sort of questions about boggers and trucks i'll give you mal's personal number after this <laughs> yeah, i'm cheers. sure he'd love it Thanks especially, for that. especially on saturday lunchtime <laughs> <laughs> cheers mate right that concludes part one with mal major hope you all enjoyed it as i said part two we're going to be focusing on some of the technology and innovation that's happening both within sandvik and more so industry-wide a lot of stuff about nano diesel particulates battery powered equipment automation very exciting stuff so as i said before check out the new website lifeofmindpodcast.com and also stay tuned for details on the uh, life of mine christmas party happening uh, early december i'll send out an invite to everyone soon just uh it's down at ed sports bar in uh, south coogee the old tasman location and uh pretty much come down have a beer with me and tucker if you're keen should be good fun so anyway stay safe out there have a good one